Hello, so welcome to episode 67. This is a really special one coming up with one of my mentors, teachers, friends, Jillian Pransky. Um, but what, before we get to sharing her with you, uh, just a couple things happening in Nomadland. As you are listening to this, I am in Bali with a tribe of nomads leading our Beyond Ritual Retreat. So I'm sorry you couldn't join us, but we have another one coming up. Um, another retreat happening later this year in October, October 23rd through 29th in Mexico, uh, Riviera Maya. So it's about a, um, a little while outside of Tulum and very special place. I'm excited to share it with you and be there with you. So we have more information coming up on the website shortly, but just wanted to get you to get that on your calendar. Um, but you can check out the web, the Nomad website and sign up to make sure that you get more information as it comes out in the next week or two. And the other thing that's happening in Nomadland, I will be leading my online course, Movement 109's Who Are You Becoming? That will start up March 30th. And that is a six week series that can be online. We have a weekly call on Mondays where we do a check-in with the group and set the intention. Uh, videos with the Movement 109 practice, my movement practice, the floor work and the, the movement part, the playlist will come to you so you can dance it out and journal prompts and a lot more that you can be a part of. So if you've listened to um, previous earlier this year, our six, six week series, I aligned the podcast with that online course and we might do that again. So if you if that resonated with you, you were listening to it and it, you really wanted to dive in and be with us, come join us. So you can sign up now and we'll start our journey March 30th. So that's it right now. I'm sure we'll have more to report next week. Um, about new new happenings in Movement 109 and Nomad, but let's for now go and hear what Jillian has to share with us. Okay, so here I am with Jillian Pransky, and you and I have known each other for many years, and I'm so very grateful to be here today in this beautiful salt room. Mm. <laughs> Um, and we're connected through through yoga. Um, we, I first knew, met you when I I was a student at uh, Isha or B Yoga. We were just 19th, trying to figure it out. Nineteenth and fifth. Yeah, and you were leading the restorative mm -hmm. piece of the teacher training, and and then I don't know. I just felt very connected to you. You, I think it was only a weekend that you were with us, or maybe even just a day. Mm. But I just felt like. Uh, this is somebody I need to have in my life. And so we have, we've I've went through your restorative training, you know, all the different levels and um, just always connecting to you through email or uh, social media. But we really haven't had like this amount of yeah, time to yeah. sit and connect. And thank you so much for doing that. Thank and you. Yeah. And it was so lovely to see you and uh, share practice this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And so in today's practice, well, I want to learn. I want to share a little bit more about you, but mm. it was quite quite interesting how the theme was um, clarity in the unknowing, mm. and mm. <laughs> 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 would you like to expand on that? So, um, for our slow flow practice yeah. today, uh, the theme was the central channel of the body. So, using asana to look at 
the gut, the heart, the throat, specifically looking at the psoas muscle on the sides of the spine. And we used asana to address tension um, along that central line, using a lot of twists and side leans and releasing what might be rigid in the tension or gripped in the gut. And using that asana was a way to explore the theme, how we might grip and hold ourselves together and how becoming more soft and more malleable and more open so that we could feel more at ease and more clear. And a lot of times, as soon as we start using the language of clarity, mm -hmm. often I find that if, even when I think about like, oh, I wanna be really clear-minded, mm -hmm. I wanna be really <laughs> clear, I think, well, then I'll know. I, I'm gonna get clear, <laughs> yeah. so I'm gonna know what to do. I'm gonna know the answer, I'm gonna know the direction, I'm gonna know the wisdom, I'm gonna know my um, insight, and I was playing with the idea that clarity doesn't mean knowing, mm -hmm. but clarity creates space for actually being at ease with not knowing yeah. and allowing ourselves to then stay wide and stay spacious so that we can meet the ever new now with some spontaneousness, with spontaneity, meaning if we what we need to know will spontaneously arise if we stay open and not think we uh, know how to respond, know what to do, know what's coming, keep control, <laughs> be on a mission. Yeah. Um, and that really interferes with our ability to, to, to stay open to possibility and to stay open to creating in the moment. Yeah. So we use the asana to sort of release the way we grip and hold tension, especially mm -hmm. around the gut, because I see the gut as a place where a lot of our wisdom and intuition and feelings and emotions we cut off from. Yeah. And so if we could create a little bit less tension there, we could create more space and more comfort. Our resources for spaciousness begin to expand, and then that traveled all the way up to considering clarity in the chest center. Yeah and all the way up, especially through the throat. Yeah, you were saying a lot head. of that too. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just thinking when you're saying that I'm feeling it in my body too mm. of when we don't know, right, in our lives and we think, but I have got this and I, I there is, there's like yeah. this kind of gripping of, yeah. okay, I have to kind of pull myself together and that's where we, they yeah, and, and your body language, which can't be seen over the yeah. podcast, <laughs> which was just exactly yeah. what I feel, is you took your hands yeah. along the center line around your Squeeze. spine. It looked like you were squeezing a rope. Yeah. And you were pulling a rope through the central line. Yeah. And I find that when we want to know something, when we want to be in control, when yeah. we want things to be predictable, when we want answers, we get smaller along that line. And that cuts us off from the very intuition and deep wisdom we're seeking yeah so that's beautiful that we had the practice there mm. how do we apply this in our life well <laughs> like I, I that's what i find that's for me the most fascinating part of practicing yeah is that um i practice to remind myself to practice all day mm-hmm 
Like, yeah, I love I, that you said that at the end. Yeah. Like, that was our warm-up. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally get on the mat not to think I'm doing my yoga practice. Yeah. But I get on my mat to prepare my to prepare conditions. Yeah. For me to remember to return to those conditions frequently throughout the day. Yeah. So I wouldn't apply it to big picture thinking because yeah. our practice during the day really just gives us opportunity to practice in the next hour, which gives us opportunity yeah. to practice in the next hour, which gives yep. us opportunity to practice in the next hour. Yeah. And so I sort of shrink it down to the immediate moment. Yeah. Um, even when I have big questions at hand that are much further out questions. And I'm, I, I too want clarity on the future. <laughs> I too want clarity, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I, yeah. I want to know what yeah. I need to know and how to make that happen. Right. But the truth is, is we can only meet each moment and how we meet the moment affects the future. Yeah. So how do we apply that clarity? How do we apply that to our lives? When I get off the mat and back into my day, I remember to soften that central channel yeah. over and over again, yep. 200 times a day, <laughs> every time it grips when I want to work out something with my son or I want to work out something with an email or with an, in, an interaction I have with myself about something I'm longing for or want. I just get all caught up again yeah. <laughs> and remember, oh, I just practiced softening yeah. my tongue and my shoulders and my gut and I found space and I found clarity. I'm going to do that right now. Yeah. And how else do I practice in my life? I've, I truthfully set my phone alarm. Do you? First okay. of all, I have a reminder every morning on my phone. <laughs> That's good. Every morning, I have a reminder that pops up. Yeah. Usually at like six and at seven. Okay. <laughs> and then on a harder day, which is probably at least half of my days, <laughs> I set my alarm for every two hours sometimes, if yeah. not, you know, every four hours to remind me to whatever that theme was I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And today it's space. And most often it's space actually, yeah. you know, I, yeah. just said in different words Yeah. Um, to come back, to yeah. come back, to come back, to come back. Like yeah. I feel like the best I can do for living my life is to remind myself to come back to a place of like ease and openness. Yeah. And I love that you have been teaching for many, many years, specifically restorative, and that you are still too reminding yourself, remembering, oh. I, I have been teaching 25 <laughs> yeah. years the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, I, and I'm not offended when if somebody would come to my class and be like, if they didn't come to my class in eight or 10 years yeah. and be like, um, God, she's still teaching the same thing. <laughs> I, working. <laughs> I, well, I used to think that about the teachers who had the biggest influence on me, yeah. Eric Schiffman and Pema Chodron. Yeah. And you can drop in to work with them at any given time over the course of decades. Mm -hmm. And at the heart of their yeah. teachings is the same simplicity and the same, the same message. And it's what's important to them, yeah. which is also what's important to me, which is why I go yeah. back. Yeah. And I think people probably would say the same thing of me. Yeah. Um, so they think, so a lot of people think, well, I got that message. I can graduate. <laughs> and for me, yeah. for my life, I just keep practicing the same thing. Yeah. It's how do I re-relax? Mm -hmm. How do I re-relax? Mm -hmm. How do I create space and re-relax? How do I back up and not know? And how do I navigate from being open and present? 
Yeah. And like, I really can't think of any time I veered too far <laughs> from that message, just using different language and yeah. different asana, and different meditation. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember the very first time, I think one of the reasons why I was drawn to you is just you, how um, open and vulnerable you were and just sharing <clears throat> a bit about your own journey of having, you know, experiencing anxiety and mm. kind of just remembering, constantly remembering, and here you are. I think I met you 15 or something like that years yeah. ago. And, and still I, can, I can see talking to you, yeah. like a, a couple of specific conversations. I yeah. can just instantly imagine us in the Flatiron studio, yeah. um, in the back of the room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can even picture like the prop closet yeah. and sit and having a conversation yes, it was the about closet. transitionary times. Yes, I was moving out of the city. I was mm -hmm. transitioning out of the city and my husband at the time was having a lot of anxiety and I just didn't know what to do with it because I think that I'm this person, right? I just like pull my, mm. the, the person that we were just talking about of pulling it, but I never really identified anxiety. It was just like, nope, oh, I have to do this. And, mm -hmm. and the fact, because I didn't know that there was an, op there was even, um, what's the right word? I didn't know I had a choice. And so for you to like be so vulnerable and share that, I was like, oh, okay. Cause I didn't even understand his anxiety and, mm. and for you to be so vulnerable, I was like, oh, I need to know more about this. <laughs> Can yeah. you please tell me? And then I realized there was my own stuff too, that was unfolding and unpacking. Well, I think what we don't, so, so I'm going to back up just a drop yeah, so that, um, please. we share a little bit about the fact that, um, I was 30 before I just, before I had any anxiety. Yeah. So being 52 now, yeah. it's been a while since I've been out of that acute state of anxiety. But yeah. prior to being 30 and having a bona fide panic attack, I was a can do mind over matter, choose how you want to feel optimistic. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to knock me down for anything kind of a girl. Yeah. And long story short, um, in, experiencing the loss of my sister-in-law who was I was 30 she was 34 it yeah. really rocked my world upside down I remember you sharing that. Yeah. and um I wound up having a panic attack not too soon after that but what that experience um enlightened me to was that I was walking around with a lot of tension mm -hmm. and the way I grip and hold and the way I find strength and the way I keep together and the way I had a mind over matter attitude was a covering up mm -hmm. that I wasn't aware I was doing. Yeah. Because I am strong, but I didn't know that I was using that strength to not feel things and not yeah. experience things or keep them at bay or protect myself from them. Yeah. And in the circumstances unraveling me, mm -hmm. um, which was horrible and I don't wish it on anybody, but it revealed to me that I wasn't living with the ease that I could be living with, which would eventually took a toll on my health anyway, yeah. at some one point or another. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of us walk around with tension in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And you know, my favorite way of describing that is tension is the stress response, finding a home in our body. Mm. And we don't identify, we identify our tightness with feeling tired or overworked or over um, use but we don't identify other sensations that are like tightness as our psycho-emotional experience in our body and in yeah. our muscles. We think, I'm tight because I worked out. I'm right. tight because I carried groceries. Right. Yeah. I'm tight because I'm on my computer or I'm driving too much or I'm yeah. tight because I don't move a lot. Yeah. But we forget that our body tightens because of how we 
feel. Yeah. And how we feel when we respond with tightness limits our ability to process how we feel. And when that builds up over time, it's like a time bomb waiting to happen. Yeah. And I think that... Um, I think that more of us are walking around with a pervasive tension and an armoring yeah. than we realize, and that we're not permitted to experience anxiety in a healthy way. Yeah. So it winds up coming out in bursts of really unpredictable, um, scary um, moments that feel like they could take us down. Yeah. Absolutely. And you had that, you said, when your sister-in-law passed away. But what was, do you mind if you share, like, what else was going on in your life? And, like, well, I mean, what happened in that time is I was, it was, it seemed like it was very much about my sister-in-law in in the sense that it happened when I was transporting her clothes from her house to, I was driving them. I was, I was in, I was literally involved in um, processing things after she passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was driving from her, her house in Maryland to my house in New Jersey, and I was helping my brother by taking all of her cl- you know, clothes to, to just donate yeah. and, and sort through something that he then wouldn't have to do. And yeah. So it seemed like it was acute and related, but what I discovered was, um, you know, I grew up, I, I, I grew up in, a, in a house with a, a sick dad. Mm-hmm. He was on and off sick most years with heart disease or cancer or kidney disease or some sort of bona fide hospitalization where he was in either surgery or in a very precarious situation where a doctor would say like we don't know how this is going to go yeah but when he wasn't sick he was nasty Mm-hmm. And he was mean, and he was always trying to keep control of the world mm-hmm. and his house. And the way that came out was dominating the household yeah. with a lot of anger and a lot of unpredictability. Yeah. And there was different forms of, uh, there was different reasons why I was afraid to be around him when he didn't feel yeah. in control. Long story short, I think a lot of the way I felt around him either being sick and vulnerable, which was scary, or in control and domineering, which yeah. was scary, was I sort of built my thick skin mm-hmm. and I built my way of behaving to either appease him or please him yeah. or just not get in trouble. I can relate to that. <laughs> and I became really, really strong. Yeah. And I really could, like, I could, I wanted to prove my worthiness and prove mm-hmm. I was going to, like, meet and surpass all expectations yeah I remember you saying you had like a pretty much like a high-powered corporate gig yeah yeah you were like going for it yeah it was part and I remember you sharing in a story of like that was part of you you know yeah proving to him I was a I was a varsity athlete all my life I ran a marathon I played collegiate soccer uh I was a businesswoman because he was a businessman and I was a marketing director of a major publishing house at 26. Yeah. And it was really all to say, look, dad, look at, look at how great I am. Look at, you can love me. Look, I'm doing everything you wanted me to do. Look, I'm one of the boys. Yeah. Look how hard I'm working. You should be proud of me. And it was all in an effort to not get in trouble, to not disturb his health, but also to be seen and appreciated by him. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that was the motivator. I didn't know that was underneath my tension. Yeah. I knew I was angry with him, but 
I didn't see how it lived in my body. Yeah. And I didn't see how it dictated my life. But after that panic attack and un totally bottoming out mm -hmm. and unfurling and unraveling and thinking I was having a nervous breakdown, yeah. which again, I think that we use language that doesn't serve that I think yeah. I think a lot more of us yeah I think a lot more <laughs> of us um really reorganize and reconfigure by bottoming out first yeah and it's not that we're losing our minds in a bad way we're like losing our minds in a good way yeah and losing our bodies in a good way losing that old reality yeah. like we need to that was not working for us right anymore. it's like the butterfly in the cocoon from what i learned yeah. it literally liquefies it yeah. like loses all structure and form okay yeah before it reforms yeah. into this new incarnation and I feel like a lot of our illness and bottoming out and losing our minds and nervous <laughs> breakdowns and all the things that we call them, which they are, yeah. are really, they are really opportunities to fall apart so that we can restructure and reconfigure and reorganize. And that is really what happened to me, I think. Okay. And where were you, if you don't mind sharing, like where were you in your yoga path at that point? God, were you practicing? I was already practicing like practicing. at least um, eight years. And I love it. You're like, I was already practicing. How did I? Yeah. <laughs> How did I do this? Yeah. <laughs> when I had my panic attack, yeah. um, like, I, like I was practicing tools. regularly since I was 24. Yeah. And I was already, you know, I, when I say regularly, I mean daily. I had a yeah. daily practice. I had already had, I had thousands of hours with master teachers <laughs> under my belt by the time I was 30. I, um, cause that's what you did. Yeah. You did it all the way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> when I had a panic attack, it didn't make any sense. Nothing yeah. about it made sense. And in fact, I was really sure I was having a heart attack. Oh my God. And my, but my dad had, you know, no joke. My dad had seven heart attacks by that, by, by that time in my life. Oh really? Yeah. In he, his early, I mean, mid twenties. He started having, uh, no, by, by, by the time oh, I was 30, oh, okay. he, was he, like, he did wow. have his first heart attack in his twenties oh, wow. and, he, and several of those heart attacks were, were life threatening. Yeah. Um, he had all sorts of surgeries, reconstruction, valve damage, a lot of stuff. So like when, when I felt the way I felt, the obvious reason was because I was having a heart attack. Of course. Yeah. Uh, who knew that a panic attack the way you would describe a panic attack really feels exactly the way people describe a heart attack. attack. And that's why it's really confusing. I'm sure. Especially as um, a yoga teacher. Yeah. Anyway, like as a side note to yeah. yoga teachers out there and to anybody who works with, um, in any kind of healing modality, when our, when we're sharing, when we're in a space with other people and they're describing mm -hmm. how they feel, we actually don't really know if they're having a heart attack or a panic yeah. attack. And like the, the smartest thing to do, if it's, if those are the descriptions is to seek help. And I went right Definitely. to the emergency room. Okay. They did all the tests. Yeah. And then they prescribed me out of them. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. <laughs> You're fine. Everything oh. looks great. No, that can't be right. And you type A. You're like, no, I have to have a heart attack. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm doing it. <laughs> right. And definitely not. A heart yeah. attack did not seem as weak as a panic right. attack. Right, yeah, that's what I was thinking for you. Like, yeah. no, it has to be that's like right. really horrible. That's right. Oh my gosh, okay. A, a panic attack seemed far more weak because in my mind at that time, you choose panic. Yeah. You choose anxiety, you choose depression, you choose yeah. your mental health or wellness. Yeah. I lived up until that point 
with the attitude of the belief system that you're in charge of your worldview. And I do think that in a lot of ways, we absolutely are in charge of our worldview, but not to override our life experience and our emotions, but to make room for our experiences and work with them to be able to choose eventually how we want to participate when we accept and process things instead of ignore them or diminish them or avoid them or bury them or exaggerate them and make them bigger either way yeah it comes back to what you just said in the practice of creating space yeah right space for them yes to be with you so we can truly respond to them instead of pushing them away or making them bigger yeah oh my gosh i know and I mean, I know that you shared um, in other teachings that your father did pass, and that yeah, was a whole on Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day, that's right, which is coming up yeah, here, Friday. Um, yeah, you had. A, I can't remember if I read something or if I was with you, but there was a really. Be- I mean, just the way that you shared that was really quite beautiful, and how you found peace eventually. Yeah, I'm sure um, you're still finding it. Well, interestingly, actually, the timing is pretty close. Um, I think I was about twenty eight or 26 when I started metta meditation mm-hmm. and my dad was always my focus you know like <laughs> you, when you do metta <laughs> yeah there's one per you, you do it for yourself you do it for a loved one mm-hmm. you do it for a friend you do it for a neutral person you do it for a difficult person yeah. you do it for all beings everywhere and when I say do it I mean um you meditate with an image of a person in your mind yeah. and you use a affirmation in your mind so uh, meta meditation would be like if I paused with one of these five or six categories, I might think of my dearest friend, Nicole, mm-hmm. and imagine in my head sitting eye to eye with her yeah. and wish her well, wish her safety, wish her ease, mm-hmm. wish her to feel loved and loving. And you go through a series of different people all the way to your most difficult person. And for many, <laughs> many years, there. it was my dad. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that really was the heart of my healing with him. Yeah. Because the more I was able to get comfortable with him in my head yeah. and wishing him well, the more I felt spacious around him and the less judgmental and the less expectations I had. Yeah. And then he started to change around me mm-hmm. and there became more, uh, less conflict, less expectations and more room to see him who he really is was was not about me yeah it wasn't as it wasn't personal anymore yeah and um long story short by the time he died i would say i had about a decade of peaceful uh well i wouldn't call it peaceful but i had i had a, at least a decade of enjoying uh, really enjoying aspects of a relationship with him that i never thought i would be able to do yeah that's really a gift. It was really a gift. Because not everybody has that opportunity while they're alive yeah. to have that. Yeah. Um, and that fact that you did and that he did pass and he could be somewhat at peace because it sounds like his life here was not that enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, what's interesting yeah. about somebody whose life doesn't look enjoyable, Yeah. they're so anxious underneath I know. the ways they try to keep control. It feels like they're doing something to us yeah but really they're living with so much anxiety it's so sad I know yeah 
I also just, you know, something that also that I love, I don't know if you still do it, but you used to have in your newsletter, because I don't know if I still get your newsletters. I have to go double check my spam. But you used to write about seeing the, like the world through the eyes of your son. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I know he's more of yeah. a, like yeah. a grown-up boy. Yeah. So. <laughs> so he's going on 17 now. Yeah. And I probably did that until he was a good okay. 11. Yeah. Okay. So good. Because like, like, how did I miss this? Yeah. She's no, like William it. 101, I yeah, called it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. But I just love that kind of like juxtaposition of you being a mom and, you know, seeing, choosing to see the eyes through yeah. your son and, and having this kind of world of not, no, like, not understanding your father's world, right? And being able to see through. But you yeah. eventually did come around to that and yeah. you saw maybe a little bit of you, your world through your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. So so probably for 11 years, I wrote monthly a William 101 yeah. column. <laughs> and now it's just like when things kind of come up. And I stopped for his privacy. Of course, yeah. Um, but I would say the lessons that I was learning through, say, Pema Chodron or Eric Schiffman and through my own practice and even trying to recalibrate myself around my dad, when you have the opportunity to look through any child's eyes... Mm-hmm especially when they're really young before they've been socialized. The spaciousness of a child's way of looking at things and not knowing what they're seeing is really helpful. Yeah. And it allows for a lot of spontaneity and a lot more joy. I kind of miss that, to be honest (laughs) with you. Uh, Because 17 is a whole different freaking story. I'm sure. (laughs) Actually, since since eleven, it's been different. Like we're in a whole different stage, and my, my my William Young 101s would be a lot different. So like yeah. the, the first eleven years were probably him opening me up. Yeah. The second eleven years, or you know, not eleven yet, but like six, six, so, yeah, yeah, are me trying to remember the lessons I learned <laughs> through his young years, <laughs> and trying to stay open okay. with the unwieldiness of human beings as they grow up and try to control their world. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to exert control over my son. Mm -hmm. Even as a parent, and like, I don't know, parents hearing this may be in disagreement with me, but but it's very difficult for me to parent from a place of control. Yeah. And my expectations are a little different. Um, But... As we grow up and we feel we feel the need to have control over our world more and more. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting to watch too. I'm sure it's another sort of lesson point of view on this whole topic. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Like, is there something mm. that you feel comfortable? Well, in my early William 101s, I shared a lot about how. Um, my son always preferred, say, Barbie dolls and um, pink thermoses and lunch boxes and all yeah. sorts of things from, like, from the moment he could choose a toy. Oh, I love it. And from the moment he could choose clothing or from the moment he could choose music. You know, yeah. we, were, we were in the Target girl aisle. We were not in the camouflaged G.I. Joe aisle. Yeah. And so making a lot of room for him to discover himself actually came really natural to me. Yeah. And I provided a lot of room for him to have 
to develop without expectations from me. Mm -hmm. And then there became a point where he monitored that himself based mm -hmm. on expectations of school and society yeah. and outsiders. And he started to control his own mm -hmm. wants and desires and self-expression and yeah. was really up against um, socialization so that he could fit in. Yeah. And that was like probably from nine or 10, 10 yeah. uh, until like 14 where mm -hmm. There was a real um, rejection yeah. of himself. Oh, yeah. And then there became, and, and so then there was this balance of still maintaining an openness, and then there became a real anger mm. and defiance in owning his choices and, and trying to keep control of his world. Mm -hmm. As he moved forward, I'd say like 14 forward okay. of like, being in that conflict of re holding, finding yourself, wanting to be yourself, yeah. not being, you know, like measuring, not wanting to not fit in, yeah. and then really having to choose yourself again. So we're like in yeah. this explosive period right Ooh, now okay. of, of him reclaiming, yeah. which is beautiful. That is beautiful. And making a lot of room for him to reclaim what he feels is his identity, what he feels is his... Um, gender, what he feels is his sexual, all of it, all yeah. of it, who he is in its totality. But that comes with his need to yeah. be deliberate yeah. and in control and, you know, like... Kind of like carried that, that first part of it of the controlling, I'm not going to do this, but exactly. he carried that through exactly. yeah, to now as he's flipping the switch to what his choices are. Exactly. And as I'm yeah. watching this whole thing, he's he's a human being. He's my he's my child. Yeah. But I see all of us in that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where really where I'm getting is like he went from totally being free and spacious and seeing the world and discovering mm -hmm. it through fresh eyes of possibility yeah. to completely controlling who he was to fit in and to do the right thing and to like be part of to then self-discovery in adamantly insisting that he be his own person in a way that is also confrontational. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is the struggle, like then trying to keep control again and then separating ourselves into us and them camps. Yeah. And like his, the, his story or their story is no different, I feel like, than from all of us. Yeah. I'm even hearing your story That's in it, right. right? I was just hearing That's right. like... Yeah. So now we exert our control to define ourselves, and then I'm assuming sooner or later he's going to be spacious again. I would love that for him. Yeah. 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 I'll get there. But I feel, like, I feel like we're always going through that trajectory, mm -hmm. whether it's like the lifespan or whether it's like in a particular event. Yeah. Like we go through those, you know, we have this spaciousness we go through all sorts of tightness and tensions that we add on and then we have to learn that this tension is inhibiting me yeah and that this tension is limiting my spaciousness again yeah and so we learn the ways that we've protected and armored and built ourselves into a box yep and how do we then address that tension so we can unfurl and get out of our box and return to spaciousness integrated yeah, yeah. integrated is the key yeah yeah Oh, yeah. I can hear my story in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, where I know exactly where I am about to bust out of the box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. comes to how we meet ourselves. Yeah. 
It's so true. Can you expand on I I feel you, but can yeah. you expand on that so, for somebody? So another another little teaching, a terse statement, a teaching that yeah. I have that is that I, I wrote in my book and I kind of repeat it all the time is yeah. that um how we meet ourselves will either leave us feeling more tense and with the need to protect ourselves or more soft and yeah. safe and available. And by meeting ourselves, I mean, how do we talk to ourselves? Yeah. How do we, so if it was, let's pretend I'm making up a story about William. Yeah. If it, meeting himself when he was denying his choices and who he was to fit in, if he would feel that conflict, I'm making the story up, yeah, but if course. he would feel that conflict and say, I don't like that part of me, I'm bad, or I want to change that part of mm -hmm. me. It'd be meeting who we are with another inner voice that is like a bully, yeah. or limiting ourselves, yeah. or disciplining ourselves into tightening more. So when we feel threatened, when we're around somebody that's like a bully, mm -hmm. or that's like a, um, they have an opinion about us, they have judgment, they want to debate us, they want to, whatever they want to do, they don't want to make space for us. Right. Well, we think of a lot of outside people who do that, but we forget that we do that to ourselves oh my gosh, all, all the time. time. Yeah. Probably more than outside people do it. Yeah. And so meeting ourselves, I mean, like that's at the heart of deep listening is mm -hmm. like, how are we showing up for ourselves? Are we caring? Yeah. Are we forgiving? Are we soft? Are we loving? I don't mean letting ourselves off the hook for things that we should make choices that are more nourishing for eventually. But if we just like find out the choices that we're making that aren't working and we get in there and we're like, I'm such a jerk, I'm such an idiot, I'm such an asshole, yeah. I, I'm bad, I'm yeah. never going to be good. Like if we of play those tapes, yeah. it, it, we, build, we get better at building armor. Yeah. And so if we want ourselves to be more spacious, we have to create a safe space inside or our nervous system is smart enough to know we to, to armor up. Yeah, it's always in fight or flight. Yeah, that grip yeah. as I was showing before. Yeah. yeah. So we think so about true. the safe space outside. Yeah. But for me, my meditation and yoga, my relaxation is about creating a safe space inside. Yeah. So I can befriend myself. Mm -hmm. So I can be there and encourage myself to stay soft and open when I would have the impulse to tighten or grip. Yeah. And remember, and, remember. and if, you, if you forget, don't right. worry, your phone's right. going to remind you right. <laughs> So, well, that's yeah. exactly where the practice comes off yeah. of that, is we do forget. I forget. Yeah. I've been practicing for 25 years, and I forget yeah. every single day. Yeah. <laughs> so if we don't have a way to befriend ourselves, to return to remember to soften. Yeah, and be soft even uh, within exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. How we remind ourselves to return. Yeah. How we remind ourselves to return yeah. is meeting ourselves. So yeah. when I'm tripping out, am I like... Oh, Jillian, you are, there you go again. You are never going to get this. If I'm yeah. tripping out and realize it and I'm, I'm, a, I'm bullying myself about tripping out, I don't really get to return. Yeah. <laughs> but if I trip out and say, oh, sweetheart, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. We, we all trip out. We trip out all day long. Let's come back. Yeah. And by coming back, I mean just breathing, grounding, softening, opening yeah. up again. So we can just return without all of our armor 
that makes us meet a moment from a defensive place, mm -hmm. which is always going to be limiting unless we really actually need to be defending ourselves, like fighting yeah. or fleeing from a real acute danger, right. which is a very small part of our lives. Yeah, we are very fortunate that we don't actually have to fight or flight yeah. um, in our life that all, all that often. So, yeah, I love that. Um, Hmm. Is there anything else you want to share? I could sit here with you, yeah. you with hours, but I also want to honor your time. <laughs> um, we went a lot of places fast, actually. Yeah. That's what happens in the space in between. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a great name, I by know, the way. Right? And I love Speaking the work that you're doing. You know, even the the little glimpses that I have like gotten a peek at through all this time that we've known each other is like, it really does feel like the trajectory I just described yeah. in William's experience, which I think is again, all of us, but yeah. it's like, I can see that in the more and more you've uh, met yourself yeah. and have been willing to recreate space for yourself and space to bloom and be yourself. I remember oh. meeting you yeah. the very early days when I yeah. first met you early 2000s yeah. yeah and I remember your um your brightness and your vibrancy okay. and your um sort of your general uh radiance yeah. and you had just started going through a really difficult time yeah and I remember seeing that sort of um juxtaposition yeah of squeezing in on your own radiance because yeah. things were so difficult yeah um and then you went through that rigorous time for a while mm -hmm. a couple of different yeah like am I times. out of that part yet <laughs> um no yeah you're right but in discover but in but but in putting yourself into a vulnerability sort of like literally throwing yourself out onto the journey. Yeah. You know, pulling out a lot of systems and norms and predictability. Yeah. And home. Yeah. And your nomadic way of like creating space by letting home be moving through the moment on a journey, mm -hmm. you know, wherever your travels. Yeah. Led you. Yeah. And then you've created actually a life out of deliberately traveling. Yeah creating space yeah and then finding it through your practice and all of the sort of the freedom and movement that you've come to practice more regularly and want to offer to others that's more spontaneous mm -hmm. and less driven by what it should be like mm -hmm. and what we should do in a curriculum yeah. of knowing yeah you know so so your 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 trajectory is really a beautiful Thank you. Um, Mira to our whole conversation. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, it's really quite interesting too, just to speak to that because you were really only that period where you're, what you're referring to the, especially like the first time yeah. I was meeting you and the radiance and maybe like the second time that was like when I was starting to have a difficulty. Um, yeah, you were kind of like one of the only people that I shared that with mm. <laughs> because mm. I felt like, you know, I was doing the, like my armor was up and Oh, with family and friends, I couldn't really share that. And I don't know. I just, and when you were, like I said, you were just so vulnerable and I, um, sharing your own story, I was like, oh, I think she's a safe person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you actually wound up sending me a few emails along your journey. I did. Yeah, because yeah. they've stayed with me. Oh, yeah. I'm crying and I remember, a bit. I remember like different moments that were a little bit of a struggle that you would yeah. check in with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. But just to kind of 
um, mirror that back of what was, I kind of lost my train of thought, but it's really interesting because there is this spaciousness. Oh, the curriculum. I have been feeling that recently because I've been the past two years leading teacher training Mm -hmm. and maybe, and you actually, we spoke to this the Mm -hmm. last time of how, um, if you don't mind sharing yeah. that experience too, but I don't know if you remember, but you had your curriculum, a curriculum yeah. that you've been teaching for years. Yeah. Maybe you tweak things a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you didn't know how to read the paper. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I feel the same way. Like I've been teaching these teacher trainings and I have to change something here and I have to be more spontaneous and have more yeah. space. And yeah. do you want to speak to that? For yeah, a well, for me, you know, I'm a preparer, yeah. preparer, and I like to be, um, I like to be really deliberate about what I share, yeah. and I like to be really knowledgeable and research, and I spend a lot of time Me equipping too. myself with whatever I think somebody's going to feel is of value to them. So I have this, like, idea in mind is, like, if I'm training someone, I want them to leave feeling like it was worth their time. It was yeah. valuable. I got something that I can use and bring with me. And that was like, that drove me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it drove me to create really good curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> and I am your mirror. Yeah. I know that very well. <laughs> yeah. And I got it down, you know, I yeah. got it down. And I had a lot of formatting to the way I shared that curriculum to make sure it was logical and sequential and digestible and usable and repeatable. And then, um, not even that I got bored of it or so to speak, but like I wound up finally getting it so good that I digested it and it would start coming out a little different. And so Mm -hmm. that started shifting and flowing. And then in the past two years, no joke, (laughs) every time I go to teach anything, either I have a computer crash, I lose my manual, (laughs) down to the fact that like it happened so many times, uh, the last time I actually had my manual with me, I literally looked at the paper and I told you this, I don't know what was going on neurologically, (laughs) if anything, if anything was actually going on. You're like, am I having another panic attack? I couldn't read it. (laughs) Like it was as if I was looking at another language on the paper. Like my eyes could not follow a sentence and I couldn't say, I want to talk about this and I want to talk about this. It was like, I had to just close the book. Yeah. And I have found that, especially in the past two years, the less and less I rely on anything I wanted to do and yeah. allow the teaching to just rise up from yeah. wherever I am in the moment meeting yeah, with anybody group. else. Yeah. Not only is it more fulfilling and more enjoyable, it seems to be much more powerful mm. to whoever I'm with. Yeah. A, 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 more, a more significant offering yeah. than what I was on a mission to offer. <laughs> <laughs> The more I wanted to offer something specific. Yeah. You're like, you're going to get this. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) That grip again. (laughs) Right. It doesn't seem to have gone as far. Yeah. Or been as useful or as deep. Um, Well, I can't wait for, I need to come to another training Mm. because I thought it was pretty deep when I went. Yeah. (laughs) It it feels a lot more deep. It really does. Like I am, I'm really enjoying not only the depth of my own explorations, but yeah. how deep they become through sharing yeah. and through co-collaborating. Like I think mm-hmm. of a training or anytime I gather with yogis and 
I'm in the seat of the teacher, yeah. I still feel like it's a collaboration. I do too. And yeah. it's the presence of being together mm-hmm. that everything becomes much more alive and much more deep and much more meaningful and useful. And I've never been as satisfied as I am right now participating in sharing yoga than ever before. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I feel like we should end like right there. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jillian. Thank you. Um, And so I think everybody who's listening probably already knows about you, but Mm. if they don't, how can they find you? And I am at, um, I have a website that is my name, which is JillianPransky.com, spelled with a J. Yeah. I-L-L-I-A-N-P-R-A-N-S-K-Y. I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Great. And pretty much everything is there. And I do have a ton of... um, free practices that Yoga Journal has recorded, uh, one hour classes. And I've done some stuff with Yoga Anytime where they have a bunch of little one minute, one minute reminders so that we could practice off our mat and in our day. So set your phone and then go study with Jillian Exactly, for one minute. I love it. I think I'm on a mission. Um, I think I'll end with my, my latest mission is not how much we get done on the mat, but to, but I really feel that it's urgent that we practice in morsels all day long. Mm-hmm. I do too. I barely put out an actual mat. I'm just always like, how can I do, like, how can I move around while I'm cooking or sit and meditate while I'm, you know, in the middle of being freaked out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I yeah. love that mission and I will do my best to spread it mm. with you and for you. Mm. Thank you. I'm so very grateful for your time and again, just your mentorship and friendship throughout the years. I'm I'm so glad we actually got to do this and to sit down together in a salt cave. In a salt cave. I know I need to take a picture of you because you like fit in so perfectly. Oh yeah, we should do that. We'll put that up on the podcast picture. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jillian. Thank you.